loving the snow outside. Anybody else loving the snow outside? All right, I'm loving the snow outside. Uh, it's going to be Christmas. It's going to be winter. It might as well have a snow on the ground. We, to go, we have a family tradition today as a family. Uh, we go with another family, and we cut down our tree just north in Michigan. So it's nothing like cutting down a tree in the snow. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, it's been uh, just a good week around here at Grace. I'm excited today starting this new series, Rebel, uh, looking at Jesus and how when he came, he turned and went in the opposite direction of which everyone else went. He went against the grain, and he was known for standing up against righteous people, Pharisees and Sadducees who said it should be done by a certain way. Jesus just came to seek and to save those that were lost. And so as we begin this series, I encourage you over the next five weeks to hang on with us and and we're going to just dig right in. We're going to look at Jesus' life. We're going to stay in the Gospels, and we're going to give a snapshot of who he is. And for me, quite personally, it's been an unusual uh, kind of journey just reading through the Gospels. And my hope is this, that I do my Savior justice as I try to describe a God who has changed my life in an unusual way. And uh, I hope I can get through this message. But, you know, Jesus has changed my life uh, forever, and I am... <laughs> have incredible gratitude for that. And I'm going to thank him till I see him in heaven one day. And a lot of you in here understand what I'm talking about. Those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, we have an incredible savior who loves us, loves us dearly. And we have an incredible message to give a world that's hopeless. And it's a message of grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Am I right about that? Am I right? We have an incredible message to give Jesus today. So as I've been unfolding this message, Jesus is a lot more certain and dependable than my muzzleloader was yesterday morning at 9.30 when I was zeroed in on a nice buck 30 yards away. I pulled the trigger and grinned, and it went click. And so uh, any of you who are hunters can understand what I'm talking about. Um, But Jesus is a lot more dependable than my inline muzzleloader was yesterday morning. But there's 13 more days left of hunting. Um, I don't know how I got there, but dependability made me think of my muzzleloader. But Jesus is very dependable. And as we look this week and look today, we're going to try to describe him. And I will do my best. And I, I, I have been, quite frankly, just moved deeply as I've been reading what Jesus had to say about himself and how he lived. I've been challenged to be more like Christ. And a lot of us say we're Christ followers. And some of you are fringe Christ followers. You come every once in a while to church. Some of you say you've committed your life to Christ. And my desire is that we all really dig in. We go all in. We'll go all in in a lot of arenas, but why not all in for Jesus Christ? And so, but it's challenging. And we're going to find that out today. What is the pictures or what are the pictures of Jesus? And so today I'm going to give you like a character sketch, an intro to this series of trying to describe Jesus Christ. And And so if you were asked this question, someone came to you, you walked into a room, someone who doesn't know Jesus, Jesus has changed your life, he's your Lord and Savior, and you walked into a room with someone and they said, okay, you believe in Jesus Christ, why in the world would you surrender your life and follow a God you can't see? Why in the world would you surrender everything and go worship a God that you're not even certain that he's there? Or are you certain that he's there? Plus, describe what he looks like. So how would you describe Jesus in a physical way? What would you say? What, what, is your, what is your recollection or what comes to mind? Is it like the Jesus that was painted here by Scott Avey on our stage? Is that the picture of Jesus in a physical way? Or how about a spiritual way, the way he lived his life? How would you describe that? Well, Scripture, be quite frank with you, doesn't give us any physical description in the New Testament of Jesus. Zero. So how is it? 
that we have him with this brown flowing hair? How is it that we have him, some with blue eyes, some with brown eyes? How is it we have him as a thin, muscular, Sunni kind of build man? Well, we know he was Jewish. How is it, where do we get the descriptors from? Let's, let's, let's begin there. What, what are the earliest drawings and paintings of Jesus? If we go way back, the earliest drawing of Jesus that we have was in 235 AD. And it's a picture of him. He's up above when the narrative in the New Testament where the four friends dropped the mat into the roof while Jesus was preaching. This is the earliest drawing or painting that we have of Jesus Christ. So from that picture, I mean, does it look any different than the other human being? I mean, that's the earliest drawing up top of Jesus Christ. There have been a lot of paintings and a lot of, uh, uh, of art of products put out with Jesus. In fact, in 550 AD, the Byzantine Christ, this is a, probably what we might say Jesus looked like. And so this was in 550 AD. This is an early picture of Jesus Christ. You can see what you might think. Always like the eyes, all these drawings, check out the eyes. And, and we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Then in 1180, the, a picture of Christ, more kind of what we see him as maybe today. But generally speaking, always has a solemn look. Eyes you can look straight through and brown flowing hair with robes and, 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 and dress normal like this right here. And then in 1550, uh, we have a different picture of Christ showing a little more skin here of Jesus and a scar and, and maybe a little pudgier than maybe you're comfortable with. And, but do we really know? Do we know whether he was bigger, smaller, or do we just picture what a Jewish person looked like who walked everywhere? 1550 Christ. And then the 19th century Jesus one that the earlier 19th century probably would be one that, that we might say, that's the physical description of Jesus. Brown hair, beard, eyes that kind of look straight through you. You're, you're beginning to see this pattern of, of, of similar paintings and portraits. And then there's a forensic Jesus put together by scientists who somehow say, well, he probably had a jawbone if he was Jewish and if we put skin on him or people of that time of bones that we found that were similar in age. Uh, during this time, this is what Jesus would look like. Still the same kind of eyes looking straight through you. And probably the most recent picture that we have of Jesus was from the passion of Christ. And this is how we see uh, uh, Jesus and what he might've looked like. And so what does he look like physically? If someone asks, well, tell me about this God that you've given everything to. And do we really know what he looks like? Truth be known, here's the truth. We don't know what he looked like from the New Testament. And the only recollection we have is from the Old Testament. In fact, some would say this, say that Jesus never laughed. And we're gonna look it through the gospels today and I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna re- debunk that, tr- that lie, that Jesus never laughed and he didn't have a sense of humor and that he wasn't witty. But some would say it was serious. Some, a, a Brit- British broadcast film that was put out uh, in the 20th century, did a, did a documentary about Jesus, and they picture him as a pudgy man. Do you see Jesus as a pudgy man? Would you see him pudgy? Um, another second century uh, suggestion that goes way back said that Jesus was hunchback, that he was, had leprosy, and that because of the leprosy, he walked with a hunchback. And all these traditions, all these writings, the only writing that we have in regards to his parents Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to place one in your hand. 
But Isaiah chapter 52, and we're only going to go here once to the Old Testament today. Then we'll go right to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only one description of Jesus' physical appearance in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 52, if you need a Bible, hold your hand up because we're going to be using them today. We want you to follow along with us in his word. Isaiah 52, look at verse 14. Isaiah says, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so what? Disfigured beyond that of any man. And his form was what? Marred beyond human likeness. Really, the only description we have of Jesus was post-cross. That after he was, he was beaten and, and, and whipped and, and, and when he went to the cross, this is what he looked like. He was marred and beaten beyond likeness and then you couldn't even recognize him. He, was, he suffered so much for us. And so we really don't know what he looked like physically. No one knows other than what is speculated, but we can assume is that people were attracted to him in droves. In fact, in 1514, someone forged a document that tried to describe what Jesus looked like. Just just listen to this. This was in 1514. Someone forged a document under the name of Lentulus, the Roman governor who succeeded Pontius Pilate. So someone who, who wrote, forged this document and contained this description of Jesus. It says, he is a tall man, well-shaped, and of reverent aspect. His hair is of a color that can hardly be matched, falling into graceful curls, parted on the crown of his head, running as a stream to the front after the fashion of the Nazarites. His forehead high, large, and imposing. His cheeks without spot or wrinkle, beautiful with a lovely red. His nose and mouth formed with exquisite symmetry. His beard and a, of a color suitable to his hair reaching below his chin and parted in the middle like a fork, his eyes bright, blue, clear, and serene. So here you have a picture of Jesus with blue eyes. Truth be known, we don't know what he looks like, but we do know what he said, and we do know how he lived, and we do know his message. And so today, we are going to speak into that truth, and we're going to look and see what the Gospels have to say about Jesus. Here's what I know regarding Jesus. He did it his way. He came in during a time when there was many laws. And during that time, if you and I would have lived, there would have been Pharisees and Sadducees and there would have been rulers of the day and they would have based their belief system upon what they did, not necessarily upon their hearts. Jesus came in, he said, we need to do it a different way. We need to love people, not love deeds and love good works and raise people up according to what they've done. Let's level the playing field. And so Jesus was a revolutionary. He came in, instead of a message of law only, he came in and he gave a message of grace and truth. And his message was to reach the undesirables. He showed that those who are undesirable should be reached. He showed us and challenged us to love everybody, regardless of race, color, creed, or religion. He also showed us that we should be willing to go to the riches of rich and poorest of poor with the message of grace and truth. I'm going to walk you through, and I'll try to do my best today in an opening to the series of describing Jesus Christ. I'll try to give him justice because he deserves justice. And after digging through the gospels, I've just been overwhelmed with his goodness and his love and his grace. These are the things that I notice about Jesus. They begin 
in the Gospels, but they began when I was five years old in a Sunday school classroom when I heard the story of Jesus. And my earliest recollection of Jesus was Jesus standing in a robe or at a Christmas pageant or program with a white robe and a staff with sheep around him. That was the earliest picture I have of Jesus. And as I've aged and as I've grown and studied, I've moved that from just that one picture to a tender warrior who will do anything to rescue us and to protect us. This is what I notice about Jesus. Turn to Luke chapter five and verse 34. Jesus is witty. Jesus is witty. He has a sense of humor. Jesus had the ability to, to be human. And sometimes we dismiss that fact when he walked on earth that he had the ability to act like you and I do. He had the ability to, to say something that would speak to people in the midst of a, a challenging time. But in Luke chapter five, Jesus is at a wedding. John's disciples are there. Jesus' disciples are there. John's disciples have been fasting and praying. And so John's disciples meet Jesus' disciples. They're at a celebration. And so John's disciples are a little ticked that Jesus' disciples this time aren't fasting and praying like John's disciples is. And so they're ticked at that. They're looking at the outside. And it says this in chapter five and verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples, often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and what? They're upset. They walk into this wedding feast. Jesus' disciples, hey, this is supposed to be a party. We're supposed to enjoy this. This is a day of celebration. It's a wedding. It's a feast. And so John's disciples had walked in with a doom and gloom look. They're fasting. They want everyone to know it. We're fasting. We're praying. We can't laugh. We can't smile. Jesus says this to them in response to them calling out his disciples. Jesus answered, can you make the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? In other words, you think this should be a a sad time? You think if I'm hanging out at at a wedding that somehow we're not gonna be celebrating, you're gonna ask the guests, us, that are here at this wedding to somehow have the fasting look? Hey, it's a party, let's celebrate. Jesus was often able to engage people where they were at and speak truth. Meanwhile, John's disciples were checking off a list. Hey, we're fasting and praying. Let's stay in that tone. This is a serious moment when everyone else was celebrating in the moment. What else I notice about Jesus? He's very, very, very compassionate. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. Turn to John chapter 11. We're gonna be using our Bibles a lot. John chapter 11 and look at verse 33. John chapter 11 and verse 33. Look what it says here regarding Jesus. John 11 and verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply what? Moved. In spirit and troubled. In other words, Jesus had the ability to walk in the room and he felt the tone, he felt the mood. He didn't walk in with his agenda. He walked in and there's people that were crying, people that were weeping, and he was deeply moved. It says, come and see, Lord, they replied. And then it says, Jesus wept. This is where he wept. Lazarus has died. He sees the pain of the, of the siblings and of the friends and he weeps just getting the information from them. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply what? Moved, 
came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. In other words, in case you didn't know that he was dead, Luke gives us a reminder because he's a physician. By this time, there's a bad odor for he has been dead for how many days? Four days. Then said Jesus, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Then the deaf, dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said, to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus responded to a situation. He didn't walk in with his agenda and he was moved so deeply and he wept, scripture says, because the, the group was hurting and he responded out of compassion. There was also a time in the New Testament where Jesus was coming on a town, not any different than piling into Goshen or South Bend or walking into a town and he stood outside the city and he knew the pending judgment upon the city and he knew that many were rejecting the message of Christ and they were going to hell. And it says Jesus pulled away and he wept over the city. He's moved deeply in, in his inner being when people don't respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. All through the New Testament, Jesus weeps, Jesus wept, Jesus had compassion. And he often had to defend himself for showing compassion. On the Sabbath, when he healed somebody or did something against the law, he often had to defend himself. And he always, always lifted people up in place of laws and to-do lists. Jesus often showed compassion to people who didn't deserve it. Look at Luke chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 6 and verse 36. Look at Luke, Luke, Luke chapter 7 in verse 36. Look at Luke chapter 7 in verse 36. Jesus meets a woman who walks into his presence. Luke chapter 7 in verse 36 says this. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Once again, he's seated with people that some people wouldn't sit with. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. The Bible says a woman who had lived a sinful life. She was notorious. In other words, she's a drug dealer. She's a prostitute. People knew her. She's on amphetamines. She's the person who stands on the corner. They knew her. She's the lady that sleeps around with everybody. It was obvious they described her as a sinful life. So Jesus knew her. He was a person who understood people. And so he sat at this, seated at this couch and this sinful woman, they could have just said woman, but they said sinful woman. They knew her. The town knew her. And she walks in with this alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Is, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a what? Sinner. Jesus answered them, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 
Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the biggest debt or the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman who was there, who was washing his feet. And he, look, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my, on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been given, forgiven little loves little. Jesus had a way with words. And he says, those of us who understand the depths of our, of our sin... And when Jesus said, I'll take you just as you are, I forgive you no matter what your past is, no matter how ugly, no matter where you've been, Jesus said, and the more that you've been forgiven, the tendency is the more you love. And this woman was overwhelmed with love because Jesus invited her in and she was a woman of the streets of the community. She had a name and everyone knew it. She was the sinner. And Jesus said, come on in. And because of that, she responded in great love, poured unbelievable, expensive perfume all over him. Do you realize this? Why is that so significant? Well, it's just a woman with oil. It's just a woman. Here's why that's significant. Because during this time, women, Jewish women and women of the day, they were not allowed to speak in moments where there was a teacher. In fact, when there were quorums or meetings, they had a town meeting, women could come and the person up front in charge, the moderator would count and they would count the men. There's a man, there's a man, there's a man. Skip over the women. There's a man, there's a man, there's a man. Skip over the woman. Women were were in meetings and it was as if they weren't there. And so the laws of the day of that time says, keep women on the outside. And they were not even allowed to speak. And yet Jesus lets this woman not only come, he lets her wash his feet. And so the Pharisees are like, whoa, what's going on here? This isn't supposed to happen. Do you realize this, that when Jewish men prayed during Jesus' time, they would pray this prayer. Listen to this prayer. This is how bad it was. Men would pray, blessed art thou, O Lord, who has not made me a woman. And they would pray that. And so they were grateful that they were men and and women would hear that. And so women sat on the fringes. Women were on the outside. And Jesus, all through scripture, all through the gospel, is constantly going to women and showing them love. Few women were permitted to talk to men outside of their family. In fact, women were not supposed to touch any other man except their spouse. And they rarely did it in public. It was as if they were there, but they weren't there. And now this woman is wiping Jesus' feet and pouring perfume. And the Pharisees are saying, whoa, wait a minute. And Jesus is saying, no, someone who has been forgiven much, loves much, let her be. He came in and he rebelled. He went against the grain. One person said this, Jesus violated the mores of his time in every single encounter with women in the gospels. And women followed him to the cross. There's this picture in the New Testament when Jesus was at the cross and the women followed behind, the women went to the tomb because they had never met a man who showed such love and respect and he didn't make them feel inferior. Jesus came and rebelled against the customs of the day because women need Jesus too. And so Christ came and he rebelled even with women. He was a rebel with a cause of compassion. 
He also turned the customs of the day with lepers. Look at Mark chapter 1. Matthew, Mark. Jesus rebelled in this custom, and he went against the grain. Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 42. Mark chapter 1 in verse 40 to 42. Look at it with me. Matthew, Mark chapter 1 in verse 40 says this. A man with what? What's it say? Leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with what? What's the text say? Compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and did what to the man? Touched him. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy had left him and he was cured. We see that. Well, that's what Jesus did. He touched. But did you realize that you weren't supposed to touch a leper? Did you realize that lepers had to live apart from everyone else? And by law. During this time, they couldn't even enter towns. They had to sit on the outside because they were considered the less of the less, the least of the least, the impoverished. They were people who people wouldn't even talk to, come within distance. They would see them and say, you're not even a human being. Something's wrong with you. Something must be sin in your life. And so they would see lepers from a path and people would just bypass them and blow them all because they were lepers. And Jesus said, no, I came for you too. I came to give you the same gospel of, of hope that I give everyone else. They, do you realize that the lepers couldn't even shop for food in the marketplace? And when they had a meal, they couldn't even eat it with their brothers or sisters. They had to eat with other lepers. And so you would see these group of lepers. It wasn't uncommon outside of the cities. There would be a group of lepers all by themselves eating together day after day. And meanwhile, life went on around them and they could not enter into the families of that kind of relationships. Tell them I said hello. They weren't allowed to worship in the temple or synagogue either. As they walked along in the road. Now picture this. Jesus also had a chance to see lepers along the road. And this is what they would do. When a person came within walking distance of a leper, this leper would have to cover their mouth. And they would yell, unclean, 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 unclean. And so when someone heard a leper, they would go around them. The leper would sit there all day long in its, in its howering position like this, begging for food. And when he would hear the pitter-patter of feet, he would yell, unclean, unclean, unclean. And if he didn't, he would be cast out and sometimes stoned. According to the law, those who came within contact of a leper automatically contacted or contracted the leper's uncleanness, and they were supposed to. Spend time in a, in, a, in, in a lengthy, expensive ritual cleansing. And yet Jesus sees a leper. And the leper says, if you're willing, heal me. Jesus didn't run and obey the laws of the land and the customs. He reached down and touched the leper. And everyone was probably in shock and the Pharisees probably ran. And instantly the leper was clean. Jesus walked in and he went against the grain. He saw someone who needed love and compassion and he didn't overlook them. And he touched them and he loved them. He spent a lot of time in homes of sinful people. You see, people matter to Jesus more than possessions and things and accomplishments. Jesus hung with the outcasts who longed to be loved. People on the fringes that you and I drive by every day. People on the fringes that are in your schools that you go to, teenagers and elementary students, and they're different. They're, they're not athletic. They're, they're not intelligent, and, intelligent and, and, and they have 
Maybe they don't have what you have and they don't fit in and they sit at the lunch tables by themselves and there they are and you know it and you see them and you look at them and they're lonely and their heads are down and Jesus would have went and sat with them because they were on the fringes and because God's love should go to them just as much as it should to people who are in the end group. Jesus showed compassion to every single person that walked. He wasn't impressed with titles and accomplishments. In fact, he has time for people we often find a nuisance. You know what I'm talking about. A person who's overbearing, that, that person who maybe is not there totally all mentally, and maybe that person who just constantly cycles in and out of trouble, and you've had it up to here, and Jesus would have hung with them and said, Jesus, or the grace of God can cover your life. Let me give you the message of redemption. Those friends that, that used to be your friends and, and they no longer do what you want for you and so you've pushed them away and now they're on the outside and Jesus would have hung with them. Just think about this. He wasn't interested with the titles and accomplishments. You would think this, that Jesus would have been interested in someone who had a title. He would have been interested in someone who had money. He would have hung out with the tax collector so someone could pay his way. Wouldn't you think he would surround himself with people who could help him financially? But he was different than the other rabbis, and people knew it. He would speak, and they would be mesmerized by his, his, his wisdom. And they would sit for hours. There's, an, there's, a, there's a narrative in the New Testament that said that they sat for three days while Jesus spoke. Three days, and there was an instance where he fed 4,000 people. You know why he fed them? Because he had taught and taught and taught, and they just kept hearing him. And he would illustrate, and when he would preach, he would use illustrations far beyond the message. They would go back. What did he say about the mustard seed? What did he say about, about the bird? What did he say about the sparrow? He would take these complex truths, and people would remember the stories that he told and connected to life. He was a master teacher, and people would come in droves, and they would sit and listen and listen and listen to the point they were hungry. Who would do that other than people who were following Jesus? Because he spoke when he spoke. People never heard truth like that. They never saw compassion and love like they saw in Jesus Christ. He was spontaneous, mobile, and he was homeless. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Turn to Luke chapter nine. Have you ever considered that Jesus was homeless? I wonder if we would give him the recognition and honor that he deserved if he walked with us. Look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 57. Luke 9 and verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him in Luke 9, 57, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus. Jesus replied, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his what? He's homeless. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Imagine how we might view him today if we were to drive through South Penn and this evening with all the homeless people that are on the streets of Chicago and they stand with their blankets hovering and there's some that are alcoholics, some that are drug and addiction and some just 
just on hard times, but sometimes our view of them is they're the least of the least. I don't have time for them. Imagine as you walked along and drove along modern day Jesus, and there was Jesus standing with them with this blanket, with this smile on his face, hugging the guy that was drunk, hugging the person on drugs, sleeping beside a guy in the South Bend rescue mission. What would it be like if you went to the food kitchen in Elkhart mission, and there was Jesus supping with the other people? Would you respect him? Would you still listen to him? And yet that's what he did. Our savior was homeless. He didn't have an address that you would mail a message to or send an email to. He moved from town to town and he would go and people would put him up. But imagine being in that condition. Wouldn't you think he would hang out with someone who could financially help him? Wouldn't you think he wouldn't spend time with people who could not help him pay for his ministry? Not Jesus. There've been many times he would be out on the, probably on the edges of the, the towns sleeping with people who were the outcast. He showed great compassion. He could have had it so much better. But the route to the cross included frequent stops at homeless shelters. Listen to me, church, why? Why Why would our savior go to a homeless shelter? Because he valued them and he loved them and they needed the message of truth and grace and forgiveness just as much as someone who wasn't at the homeless shelter. How about you in your mind? We say we wanna follow Jesus. We say we're Christ followers, but would you be willing to, at the, at the, to the point of not having a fixed address to follow Jesus? The early disciples did. Christ had compassion and he had such a heart for the underprivileged. Those couldn't, who had difficulty making it themselves. And he would reach out to them. That's why I love tonight what we're doing at Grace. And we're reaching 100 families who have incarcerated parents. And tonight here at Grace, we're having an angel tree party and celebration and gifts that are coming from their parents. We'll have kids and families and caregivers in our building tonight. A hundred of them of the 500 in Elkhart County. And they're gonna be loved and shown grace. I suspect that Jesus would be there showing the love and grace too. Here are the things that impressed me about Jesus. He was fearless. He would eyeball down Pharisees at the stoning of, that was about to take place of the adulterous women. The, the Pharisees and the men of the day had their rocks ready to throw and ready to kill this woman. And Jesus walked on the scene and he just looked at them. He said, those of you without sin, throw the first stone. And they dropped their stones. And he looked at the woman who was an outcast. And he let her know what her sins were. He says, go and sin no more. He constantly showed love and grace. He he rebelled against the customs of the day. He also blew away the temple guards with his wisdom. Look at John chapter seven. Jesus had the ability to speak. He would, he would dumbfound a, a, a bright people. And so they were supposed to, the, the, these guards were supposed to go back and capture him and bring him back. And in John chapter five, seven and verse 45, these temple guards went out and they were supposed to bring Jesus back. But it says this in John seven and verse 45, finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked him, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived also the Pharisees retorted? 
Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. In other words, he spoke and they just didn't know what to do. They came arrest him, let's arrest him. And Jesus spoke a word and they fled. They didn't know what to do with a man who slept with the homeless, who healed the lepers, who had the the brains and the intellect of the, the greatest rabbis to ever walk, yet he was homeless. And when he would speak, people didn't know what to do because he would give them answers that made sense and they couldn't reply back. And he had an outright hatred for the super righteous And he flat out called out the super righteous. He called them whitewashed tombs, fools, vipers, serpents, hypocrites. Look at Matthew chapter 23. Look at this language that our Savior uses. I mean, he just called them to the turf. He was fearless on every way. Matthew chapter 23. Look what it says in verse 23. He has these, 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 hip, these uh, Pharisees who are super righteous. And he says this to, in verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrite. You give a tenth of your spices and mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. <laughs> Listen, these are the leaders. It's like walking up to someone that's dressed in, 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 in a three-piece suit and say, you hypocrite, you fool, you whitewashed tomb. And he just spoke truth and they didn't know what to do with him. And then it says this in verse 23, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. He could see to their heart and they knew that he was right. Blind Pharisees, first clean up the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. And then he says this in verse 33. He goes on in calling them names, and then he goes so far as to say this. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how, would, how will you escape being condemned to hell? So he looks at these Pharisees who felt pretty good about themselves. They completed all the 500 laws. They did this and they did that. And he says, you know what? You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. He just looked at him and said, hellbound, hellbound, hellbound. And meanwhile, they thought, well, wait a minute. I've done everything. No, you haven't. Your heart is wicked. And he would speak it. And they didn't know what to do with it because they would see his life and everything about his life matched up with his words. Brood of vipers. No one had ever called a Pharisee that. No one had the, 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 the audacity to say that. And he went so far and says, you are going to hell. He had hatred for the super righteous. Jesus had the ability to bring to surface repressed sin of the Pharisees, yet he forgave freely anyone who acknowledged their sin. And that's why he loved the lepers. That's why he loved the woman at the well, because freely she said, I'm sinful, I'm sorry, Please forgive me. And anybody who repressed sin, he would call them out. You're going to hell. And the two groups are completely different. One thought they were going to heaven. The other thought they were going to hell. One thought they had it together. The other group knew that they didn't. And Jesus spoke differently to two groups. You know, we have modern day Pharisees in our world. People who do good things and they let you know, we did this, I did that. And they're quick to point out every single fault 
that you have ever done and that the church has ever done and will ever do. And be quite frank, I get tired of it. I get tired of the energy that's taken to point out all the faults and and what we, we stand against. Let's gather and rally together and show people what we stand for and love one another and forgive people and show them the message of Jesus Christ. I love how he talked to demons too. I love how he talked to demons. During this time, demonic possession was rampant. I mean, people would live in caves and they would cut themselves. And there were, we have scenes in the New Testament of men that were chained up and they would run naked through the cities and people would stay away from it because they were demon possessed and they were afraid. Jesus just spoke to them. He would say stuff like, quiet, you deaf and dumb spirit, get out of here. They didn't, had never seen anything like that. And yet there he was standing in this homeless array of, of clothing looking at demons and saying, you, go, you, out of here, quiet, dumb spirit. And people just didn't know. They've never seen a rabbi and a teacher like this. And in Matthew chapter five, there's a picture of what he did with the demonic spirit. Look at this scene in Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Mark chapter five, I'm sorry, Mark chapter five. Look at this. Look at this, this, this picture of, of Jesus with this demon-possessed man. Look what he does with this demon-possessed man. Mark chapter 5 and verse 1 says, They went across the lake to the region of, of Gesserines. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. Oh, is this going to be a good ending? And even with the chain... For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons of his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills. He would cry out and cut himself with stone. It's the earliest example of a cutter. People who struggle today with cutting. We had cutters back in Jesus' time. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the near hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pig. Jesus has control over demons and demons in your life too. Now here's what bothers me. Just a short snapshot of Jesus and we'll learn more over the next four weeks. Here's what bothers me. Some of you and myself included have been saved by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. We're signed, sealed, delivered. We're redeemed and justified and sanctified. And we've been gloriously transformed forever. And you know it and I know it. Yet, here's what bothers me. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Yet who is the last person that you shared the good news of Jesus Christ with? It bothers me. We have a savior that came that went to the cross and died on the cross. A brutal death for you and me. And the same message that was applicable back then is applicable today. Yet we have friends and relatives and classmates and and, and teammates that we are afraid to share the good news with. 
And think about that for a second. Isn't that what the message, the gospel message is here for? It's not for us to get in our holy huddles and say, praise God, I'm saved. Praise God for my salvation. Let's worship God together. Let's sing on Sunday mornings at Grace Community Church. It's not just for us. It's for everybody. And we are the messengers. And it bothers me that that we don't witness and share the good news of Christ when the message is so good. And when the message can radically change a person's life forever, just like it's changed yours. And we have people who are begging for hope and we won't tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. What's wrong with us? Have we become so in love with our comfortableness, so in love with, with, our, with the, the things of this world, and so in love with our ticket to heaven that we don't want anyone else to experience what we have? Listen to me, church. The message that came 2,000 years ago needs to be spoken today. Yet some of us will set through the series. Some of us will leave here today and we'll go out to eat. Some of us will move and we won't share with the waitress. We won't share with a sister or a husband or a father or a neighbor in our cul-de-sac or a teammate that we pass the ball to. And we'll go the whole way through school and we know they need Jesus, yet we won't share. That bothers me. We're afraid to share the good news because someone might say, Wow, you must be a Christian when Christ went to the cross and died for that message. What's that say about us? Are we truly followers of the way? Jesus said, you don't have time to go back and tell your family goodbye. You don't even might not have a place to live. Would we be willing to follow Christ like the New Testament disciples were able to do? Jesus' last words before he went into heaven on the Mount of Olives. He could have said anything. He's resurrected. He went and saw his disciples. He saw thousands of people. And he's standing in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He's standing ready to to ascend into heaven. He could have said anything to his people. And so the people there gather, they ask him, they're asking, when are you coming back, Jesus? When are you coming back, Jesus? And his answer was, Go be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. His last request of followers of the way was evangelism. Yet do we share our faith? Please, church, this message is too good for us to go home and not share it. It's too good, and you know it's too good. Jesus saves us of our sins and can redeem us forever. We must tell other people. Father God, this message of Christ saved and changed my life forever. Jesus, I say thanks. And Jesus, I'm sorry for the times when I wasn't bolder or didn't share. But God, I'm not going to be remiss today and by not sharing the gospel. Maybe you're in this room. I'll tell you the truth. Maybe someone else won't, but I'll tell you, you won't stand before God one day and say, no one told me. 
Because I'm going to tell you the good news of Jesus. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus loves you. Jesus is a God of grace, a God of forgiveness. Jesus wants you to follow him. Jesus wants to take that hopeless heart of yours. He wants to invade it with hope. He wants to take that that disturbed, anxious mind and invade it with peace. He wants to take that adversity that you're facing and say, I'll walk you through this. Hear me today. Please hear me today. If you're in this room and you're hopeless and you're uncertain about this life on earth and, and, and you're uncertain about where you'll spend eternity, hear me today. Jesus loves you in the armpit of sin. You don't need to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. He died for your sin. He died in the armpit of sin. Hear me today. If you can't go back to a time in your life and say, that was the day I trusted Jesus. That was the day I surrendered. That was the day when he became the Lord and leader of my life. Please make it today. Because just like Jesus said, if you don't know him and you don't follow him and you don't surrender your life to him, your destination is hell. Please. If you're here today and you want to meet the God who touched the lepers, who placed value in the hearts of women, who spent time with the homeless and who told demons to flee and told the righteous they were hypocrites, yet showed love and grace. If you want to serve that God and surrender your life to him, do it today. Because I'll guarantee you this. I'll speak for many in this room. It is worth it. If that's you today, would you just pray with me? Just pray in your heart. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, forgive me of my sin and Forgive me my sin. I surrender my will, my life to you. I repent. And God, I've been trying to do it on my own. I can't do it any longer. I need you. Be the Lord and leader of my life. Fill me with hope. Fill me with peace. Fill me with eternal life. Save me, Jesus. Save me. Would you do me a favor today? Because I think this message is, is just as relevant today as it is, is as relevant today as it was then. And people heard this truth 2,000 years ago and they fell on their knees and they gave their lives to Christ and they were changed forever. If you just prayed and, and you drove a stake in the ground and you said, today I surrender my life to Christ. He's the hope that I need. He's the Christ that I need. He's the Lord in my life. Would you just, just let me know? I'm, it's only me looking around. Would you just let me know by raising your hand that today was the day that you surrendered your life and you say from this day forward, I'm gonna walk with Jesus. Would you just, just hold your hand up? Don't be ashamed. Just hold it up, please. Just hold it there, please. Don't be ashamed. God, thank you. Thank you for the hands across this room, God. Today was a day of redemption. Today was a day of salvation. Today was a day they crossed the line. 
And God, I pray this. I pray for unusual protection because the enemy wants to come in and, and, and bring thoughts of discord and, 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 and fill their minds. I pray, God, that, that you would surround them with your peace. And I pray that your angels would guard and protect. And God, may they experience your love and peace and joy in an unusual way. And God, may they be bold in their witness and tell others. God, you're a good God. And the message of truth and grace and forgiveness and salvation is as good today as it was when you came. Lord, thank you. You tell us in scripture that that the angels celebrate when one repents, that there's an all-out party in heaven, and that many, many rejoice. And and God, I want to join in on that because today was a day of salvation for people in this building and potentially for those watching on the internet in our South Bend campus and in our Lincoln. God, I pray that we would celebrate that. God, thanks for saved souls. Thanks for the message of salvation. So rich, so free, so good. And so worth celebrating. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand and as we close in a song, just the message of Jesus, just stand with me. The message of Jesus is alive and well. And today we had people who crossed that line for Jesus. And sometimes it's real difficult for us because some of us have been saved for so long, we forget what we've been saved from. And in this room and in other forums and across the world, potentially other people pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And our Bibles tell us that when it, someone, one soul repents and finds Christ, that the angels in heaven rejoice. I would love to rejoice with them, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love to rejoice with them? So we'll give you a chance. We'll give you a chance to do that. We're about to sing a song, but uh, let's let the angels gain the attentions of the angels say that Grace Community Church knows how to celebrate when someone crossed over from death to life. And so give it your all out best. Maybe it's a hoot, maybe it's a holler, maybe it's a little jig in the, the alleyway, I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's a high five. Maybe it's a hug for someone saying, I'm glad that I'm saved, but let's give it our grace best. Let's celebrate that today was the day of salvation on the count of three all out, all in, everywhere. On the count of three, your best. One, two, three. Woo! Woo!